Would you look at your neighbor and say, welcome to the bridge? I'm glad you're here. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Bubba got a haircut. It's a brand new day. Looking all spiffy. Brandon hasn't had a haircut. He's still looking spiffy, too. <laughs> so it goes across the whole avenue there. He's looking good. I didn't say nothing about it. I said it was good. <laughs> Just jealous. I'm jealous. I am jealous. That's for sure. There, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Earl, what'd you say? Stop popping up back there. It wasn't time for an amen. Sometimes the right time for an amen. That wasn't it. Oh, what a beautiful place to be. Amen. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're all here and excited for what God is doing. Uh, did anybody do their homework last week? Nope. Yeah, okay, good, good. I did I did a little bit of homework too. Um, talked to some people I haven't talked to in a while. Talked to some people that called to share their thoughts from their walks and different things that they had been learning through um, Lamentations chapter 1. So we're in chapter 2 this week. So this is week 2 of grieving with God. Look at your neighbor and say, everything's better with God. So, as we talked about last week, and just kind of recapping and, and um, point us in a direction that we get homework each week of this series, so there's more homework that will be handed out today, um, and if you didn't do last week, you can always catch up just like you did in school. You might not get credit for it after you're late turning in your homework, but you can still do your homework so that you can learn. Um, nothing wrong with learning. Amen? Amen. God is the greatest teacher ever. He can give you an F today and change it into an A when you ask him for help. He's a mentor. He's a friend. He sticks closer than a brother. And I'm thankful, ain't you? So in first week, you know, we talked about how that we need to release and let out and let those cries go and... Uh, Maybe in solitude, uh, go to a place where that you can do that and uh, just have those release points to allow the process of grief and dealing with it with God. Let him know where you stand. And working with others and along with others to sometimes share those things and uh, open up and at least talk about it, that we don't need to keep it in uh, internalized the rest of our lives, that grief is something that we all share in some form or fashion, and not all grief is the same. Um, so I, I've just been this past week um, looking through some different topics and, and listening to some different things and One thing's for sure is I listened to some of the most prolific people in Christianity today and listened to them in a in a YouTube video and, and 
some very, very, very smart people um, digging into the Word of God and trying to find uh, synergy and common ground in the Word of God. But even in some of the most basic things, these folks, because their brains are wired a certain way to be apologetic, we've studied that, we've talked about that on Wednesday nights here before, an apologist is somebody that can uh, pick apart anything you believe and cause you to start thinking it's like getting shot with a machine gun or something, it's just like it never ends. And um, these people, even on some of the common ground items, would find a differentiation between what they think and what the other person is saying. And it's amazing to me how we as humans overanalyze, amen, overthink, and cause some of our own grief. Look at your neighbor and say, you might be your own problem. <laughs> Amen. Jessica, I think you said it a little louder than Shannon did. I don't know. It's, uh, you're pointing him out there. Poor Shannon. It's okay. We're all in it together, right? We all got our own. Some people call them demons. Um, our own struggles. But God wants to simplify some things, and he wants us to put some certain steps in order that will allow him to be God and us to not be God. Okay? So if you've been playing God, you've probably got a mess in your life. You've probably got a mess in your situations. You've probably got a mess all the way around you in family, in community, in workplace, in all those areas of your life because... Wherever you play God, you're saying he don't know enough. You know, this finite mind of mine is the one that's got it all figured out. And that's a scary place to be because we are not God. Now, the Bible does say that we can be little g-gods. You can differentiate that in, in the Bible when you see a little g-god. It's talking about something else. And whatever it's got a capitalized g, that means God, the God of heaven. And we need to pay attention and allow him to be God and us to be human. And human brings, our humanity brings grief because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. That we deal with these things called grief. But some grief is different, as I said earlier, and that grief is something that we would class, classify as trauma. So some grief goes so deep that it's traumatic to our finite brain that is wired a certain way, and you can go look up studies on the brain and the different segments of the brain and how they all got a different function and there's parts and pieces inside the brain. When you say a brain, you think one lump of matter, but actually inside of it has, you know, cortex, all these different things, and I'm not going to get into them because I don't know them and I'm not a brain surgeon. But I do know that they have different functions inside the brain. Some of the healthcare people in the room probably thinking he got one thing right. But that trauma, if you think about your brain as a filing cabinet, okay? Does anybody have a filing cabinet at your house? If you don't, you need one. So you need to get a filing, a box, okay, that's, 
I bet your CPA loves you at tax time. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> files are important, right? That, and there needs to be a system to your filing. There needs to be a strategy in your filing. Now, I'm not saying I've got this uh, perfected because I don't. I, I've, I've had a position at the office for a long time, and, and I do pretty well. I keep stuff, and I know where I can go get it. But there's a difference in having something filed where you can go get it. And I've heard people say that. It's got stuff stacked on their desk that deep. And sometimes they can pull it out and, and actually find what they're looking for. But there's something different to a structured filing system. And I know you didn't come to business class this week, but it's just different when there's a structure to it. So when there's different structures that you can come up with and you can look them up on YouTube to try to figure out a, a good filing system that'll work for you. Some people it's alphabetic order, some some people likes it in uh, chronological order as far as time, some people, you know, some everybody's brain works a little bit different, that's okay. So a filing system that works for you is the one to use. But don't let it be chaotic because a chaotic structure will cause anxiety to happen when you can't get to the file you know that you had. Where did I put it? Has, is there anybody in the room that looks around sometimes and say, where did I put it? Thank God for Leslie's iWatch or Apple Watch or whatever it is because she all, always loses her phone at the house. That's, we don't have no big house. It ain't like you gotta search real far. But five times a day I'll hear ding, 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 cause she's hitting on her phone well, to try to find where she later. Her watch tells her where her phone's at. <laughs> okay, she's utilizing her phone to help her assist her in finding, or her watch to find her phone, which is, but there's nobody more structured than Leslie when it comes to taxes. I, I assure you, there's nobody in this room does your taxes like Leslie does her taxes. And sometimes it freaks me out because it's so structured and so rigid and so processed that I don't know what's going on because I like a little bit of chaos, you know. I don't, I don't want, I want to totally, you know. But so this year, whenever tax season comes due, you know when tax, you know when your W two is supposed to be in the mail and and have a a stamp on it from the United States government that they say this was in the mail by this time. That's January thirty first. We all know that, right? So if you're in business, you know you got to send out those forms by. January 31st. You can file for an extension. Yeah, you can You can be lazy and whatever. <laughs> Guess when we done our taxes? <coughs> February 1st. You know why? Because that's the day you do your taxes, February 1st. Our CPA probably don't like us, but he still lets us come in. I'm, I'm glad he does. But Leslie walks in and she sits down. Everything's in a binder by month. You could ask her for any, down to the penny. On what electricity costs the house, what the water costs, what all that. She just is very, 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 very structured. And she's got it so structured that we can go in and do our taxes on February 1st, whether she's got anything to mail or not. Because she knows. That's structure. <laughs> that is, uh, but she can't find her phone. So there you go. It's kind of a little bit of both. We've we, we got to throw her under the bus some and then let her drive the bus other times. It's okay. So. But you can see there that there is a place in our life where we need to ask God, help me 
be structured. Help me compartmentalize my mind just like Leslie's tax folder. Let things be put in order. Amen? Is that our prayer? God, do something here that sets some things in order. Because if we're going to deal with grief, we've got to let him straighten it out. And if we've got it jumbled up, and a lot of us do, Joe Don's the only one said, mm-hmm. Is anybody else with us? Is there some stuff here that's jumbled up that you can't get filed right? That's Let your brain do its job. And the way that the brain does its job is by asking God, help fix my brain. Amen? So in the Bible, there's, there's a verse. It's in Romans chapter 12. You can look at this, verse 1 and 2, that tells us, you know, let us present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And it's a reasonable service to do that. But then it goes on and says in verse 2, by the renewing of our mind. A renewed mind is a mind that gets out of humanity's form and fashion and function into a place where Paul is saying to the Roman people, let God renew your mind, restructure, reorganize your mind. And it's no different if you've got a computer. How many's got a laptop or some type of PC? I'm a PC guy. Leslie likes Apple. I like PC. And there's something called on there called defrag. Anybody ever defragged your computer? If you haven't, you need to. So <laughs> go home and Google that or find a YouTube thing and find out how to defrag your computer. Because when you defrag your computer, it actually goes through and sorts everything inside of it and puts it in the right place. And imagine our minds that God created this lump of flesh that processes and allows our emotions to work. Allow him to hit a defrag moment in our lives when we say what the song said a minute ago. Take over my emotions. Amen? Do what only you can do, God, because when he hits defrag and it renews our mind, it sets things in order, and it will allow us to deal with life and trauma and grief and the things that we're talking about in this series. So structure can help in the process of dealing with trauma. Structure. The structure that I'm talking about that Leslie does all year long. Because if you wait till January 31st to start working on your taxes, guess what you're going to have? A mess. A mess. <laughs> Amy, Amy had the picture on Facebook. She didn't care. She just put it out for the whole world to see. You know, and I, and I bragged on it too. I said, Earl did a good job putting them in order. You know, he done a real good job, Earl. He's on, he was on his A game. <laughs> structure. We need it. God designed us to live in structure. And that structure that he can give us is far greater than what we can do ourselves. Now, he wants you to be involved. He's not, he's not going to just fix it all and just allow you to sit back and do nothing. Sometimes he uses your own work. Right? He'll feed you. Jesus fed the 5,000 out there on the hillside, right? But in the Old Testament, in Genesis, he said man won't eat unless he works, right? So we've got to have some activity in that. We've got to have a process in that, a part in that. And God wants you, 
when you ask him to defrag, that's your part. God, recompartmentalize my mind to add structure so that I can deal with grief. Because if grief is in every area of your life and your mind, overload. Then you're stressed out. Then you're freaking out. Then you're a roller coaster. So if we let God fix this stuff, only he can. Only he can. That's what the song said a minute ago. Only he can. Do you believe that God can do things you can't? Because if you believe that, you've got to give him agency that he gave you to say, God, yeah, I'm allowed to control my own life, but guess what? I'm not doing a very good job, so help me. And when we cry out, that's when God shows up. The Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted, to those of the contrite spirit. He, he's there when we call on him. He's always there. It's whether we let him come inside versus outside. So structure can help in the process of dealing with trauma. And trauma happens because of a lot of different things. And in Lamentations chapter 2 here, we're seeing that Jeremiah, the, the prophet, is writing about a trauma that had happened where that an outside force came into Jerusalem. They completely besieged the city. And it, it talks about kids laying in the street that had been pierced by the sword and dying. And they didn't. there was so much carnage that they couldn't even clean it up. There was so much death and destruction. And when we see pictures like this and images like this, and it, it just it, it's a burden on our heart to know that humanity is that frickle. Amen? That in an instant that everything can change. And we can't predict that. We can't look forward and understand that. And we can think we know what it feels like and we think we can know how to deal with something and we can, we can do all the homework we need to do. But when the moment comes and the rubber meets the road, that's when you'll find out how much help you need from God. It's wherever you say, I can't do this. I'm at a loss. And our heart cries out and our flesh cries out and our mouth, mouth cries out, God help me in this thing. There's so many things that, talk, talking about structure and how, how structured God is, there's many verses in the New Testament said, you know, that he, he is, uh, that we are predestined. That God predestined things to happen. That he saw before the foundation of the world that Jesus was going to hang on the cross. That was something preordained from the beginning. God already saw from time past where you are today. And he's already out in your future and knows where you're getting ready to go. He structured this. There is an order to the things that are happening in the world which we're living in. Now, we in our own little finite minds think, you know, and my nose is sore because my allergies is a mess this morning. But. And I, I've said this before a million times from this, this podium, from this microphone. That we've heard this said often in our lives that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That there's chaos, that there's disruption, that there's uneasiness, that there's unrest because of what's going on in the world. But a structured mind that has studied the things of God and understands the things of God has rest in our souls because in an uneasy world, a traumatic world, we can still find rest. Why? Because where does our rest come from? 
It comes from God. So bad things are going to happen. The world is going to fall apart. There's not, he says that. In the last days there will be perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves, boasters, proud, disobedient to parents. God predestined this. He preordained this. He, this. he saw from times past that this was going to happen and wrote it down in the Bible. But now he's out in front of it and knows, how am I going to get him from there to where I am? And that's where he woos us by his spirit, that he draws us to him. He's not pushing us away. He's not a God, an angry God that's up there looking to beat you up every time you mess up. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God that's up there wooing us and calling us, come home. Don't worry about the mess. Worry about your future. Because time is very short. And the older you get, right, Lonetta? <laughs> We're the same age as Joe Don. We all graduated together. So the older we get, the shorter time seems. It's pretty crazy how it's just like it's on warp speed now. The older I'm getting, it's just time just a week goes by. And next thing you know, a month went by. And then the quarters went by. And then the years went by. So there's a verse that I, I pulled up. i got to find it here on my phone if I can figure out where I'm at. Job 14, verse 1. Job 14, verse 1, says, man who is born of a woman in a few days and full of trouble. So man being man or woman, it's not male or female, it's not saying that. It's saying humans are born of women and we live a few days and those days are full of trouble. How it feels like that's the truth. <laughs> Job was saying that. Trouble is everywhere. And it's visible, we see it, we understand it, and it's nothing new. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. So everything we're dealing with in the world we're living in today, it's not new. Now, they didn't have the Internet back 4,000 years ago. They didn't have AI, or they didn't have all these technologies and things we have today. How many used AI so far? Anybody used? Yeah, I know you have. You showed me how you cheated on your high school paperwork. Oh, it's not cheating. It's utilizing technology and resources, she says. Yeah, so it, 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 it's really amazing. I, I've been using it some here lately for work and for stuff, and, and I even pulled it up last night and asked it for some uh, action steps for the sermon today. It'll do it. So you, you can tell it to type you a 10-page paper on something, and it will literally type it out within three seconds. <laughs> it's scary though because it's it's uncharted waters right uncharted waters and sometimes we have fear of uncharted water how many's afraid of the unknown our brains were designed and god created us as humans to move forward to progress so think about this do you think christopher columbus when he got on that boat Knew where he was going? He thought he had an idea where he's going. But how would you like to be on a boat with about 50 people, ain't as big as this room, and travel for months? People sick, puking. 
running out of food. I mean, humans have always went towards the unknown. We have always tried to expand. When, when he finally landed here, and, and a couple hundred years later, we had a revolution, and, and, you know, America become the United States of America. Thirteen little colonies become states. Did we, was we satisfied? I don't think we was. Thirteen? Sounds pretty good. No, let's get, let's get some more. That's why we're sitting on the land we're sitting on today, because Virginia said we ain't got enough ground, and it's a big state. And they took Kentucky as one of their... Kentucky, the entire state used to be one county of Virginia. We was a county originally. Then finally they got over here, Daniel Boone, Simon Kitten, and all of them, and fighting around, and a bunch of different people, and, and scalping them. Did that defer them or, or cause them to go back and say, I'm just going back to Virginia, it's safer over there in the town? No. They kept moving forward. Boonesboro, go look at it. Next thing you know, it's not good enough. We need to make it a state. So they applied and they become a state. A few years after the revolution, we become a state. And then that state wasn't good enough to just be one state and everybody here be just alike. No, we started dividing up in counties. Why? Because I'm not like them. <laughs> Ain't it crazy how we humans... Segregate ourselves on, on autopilot. How he says it happens that way. You can put a bunch of any, any kind of animals. They'll, they'll, they'll just group out. Put them in a big cage all together. They'll go by their people just like them. It's true. But we can't be afraid of the unknown if God knows it. How many believes that God knew AI existed before the creator of AI? So am I going to be afraid of what God already knew? And what he foreknew, and, and if it's utilized with the right purposes and the right ways, it can be a benefit to our lives. Amen? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his. So don't be afraid, and I know we can watch the news and get scared. Amen? I bet you every one of the news anchors that are on TV that are trying to tell you to be afraid of AI are all using it for their talk points. Amen? It's just like everything else that's ever come along. Everybody's like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's scary. And everybody's behind the scenes. So I'm just going to be open with you. I, I'll use AI. I'm not afraid of it. Why? Because we can pray, God, let AI benefit my life, be useful to me, and make me more, uh, cause more change and help more people and do more good things. So what if we used it for the good? And we talked about cell phones a while back, and, you know, Travis told me a while back that he still got to tell his cell phone every now and then, quit showing me a bunch of junk. <laughs> AI's listening. And he tells me, Travis told me a while back, that he was, you know, that stuff started showing up on his phone again. Junk. Amen? Junk images. Anybody? He said, I told it again. Quit showing me junk. Why? Because the devil ain't going to quit. He's going to keep coming. He's going to keep chasing. He's going to keep putting junk in front of you. Why? Because he wants chaos. 
He don't like structure. He don't like an organized life. But God, God of heaven, has an organized fashion for you to live this life of whatever the number of your days are, and he's caused it to work together for the good of them that love him. What am I saying? Let him have control because he knows better than you do where you're going and how long you're going to be here. God organized my life. And part of that organization is he's got a folder inside of that file cabinet that says grief. There's nobody, no human, is going to get out of this thing called life without having some forms of grief and trauma. Now, when it comes, it comes at different times for different people. And that's okay. But the blessing of this is that as we deal with this grief, and if we do it with God, that we allow him to order those things and, and, and teach us lessons, even sometimes through some awful, terrible things. Amen? That he will use bad things and turn them into good somehow, some way, some form, if we allow him to. And I'm not saying we should rejoice and be jumping up and down and screaming hallelujah when bad things happen. Because we're not going to do that. That's not the emotions and the nat natural way we deal with grief. But when grief happens, and just like it did for Lamentations here, when Jerusalem was besieged and, and Jeremiah seeing all these things, and, and all of chapter 2, you need to read that through verses 1 through 22 and read, read it this week. And as Jeremiah sees those things and he sees this devastation, he sees this chaos and he sees this destruction, and he's talking through these things. It says in these 22 verses that it's called like an acrostic. I think Dusty said that word. There's another word that's about like an acrostic. What is that? He, a sermon at the school a few years ago used it. I don't remember the term. but Huh? Anagram? I don't think that's it. But there's something like that. But they're both the same thing. So you use the first word and, and make it spell out something. So basically these verses in chapter 2... It's like an acrostic, but it uses the Hebrew alphabet, which is 22 letters in their alphabet. And it's an acrostic across the first word of every verse. That he's using structure. You hear me? He's using structure to put into words what his heart and what his eyes and what his mind is dealing with. So what do we need to do and as Jeremiah's doing that? He's putting some things in order when he don't know what to do with it. And some of the things you're dealing with and I'm dealing with that we as a church are dealing with, as we put them in order, it allows God to make sense out of them when they make no sense. So as Jeremiah's doing that, he's trying to integrate them and tame them. He's trying to tame these emotions. To say, God, I got some chaos going on. I'm traumatized by what Jerusalem, what Israel, what all of us are facing today. I'm traumatized by it. And he's putting it in order. And you know, it says in the lesson plan here that we're trying to integrate them in our personal narrative or tame them by explanation. Attempts to explain or learn from or integrate such experiences can be like trying to turn a steering wheel of a car in a free fall. 
Earl's been on the racetrack. And he's the he's the spin out wonder, ain't he, Amy? He he he, he makes spinning out look easy. <laughs> I'm picking on Earl because he's sitting down there and I'm up here. And and if you ever been dirt track racing, right, Ryan? Ryan won't even get in the car. He'll take it up there and run it through. He won't get out on the track. He's scared to get on the track. I, me and Earl, we're not scared. We'll go out there and spin out every five minutes. It don't matter. It's good enough. But when you're going around through there and, and you're intentionally in a car, Bubba did this when I was a kid. I watched Bubba race dirt track. So that's probably what, thanks a lot, Bubba. You've got hooked on this stuff. And you go into a curve, and you're looking at this, and Wayne knows too, and you, and you get in that curve, and you cut the wheel, and you're sliding the wrong way. And you're trying to control it in the middle of a slide on dirt. What makes sense about that? Every time you hit a curve, it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I out here? I don't need to be. There's people flying by me. It's, it's scary, traumatic. And sometimes you cut the wheel and think you've got it in control and do the same thing you did two seconds ago. And it don't work the same. Right, Earl? Right, Wayne? Come on, we got some amenities in here. So when you do that and you think, because I did it this way before and I'm going to do the same action again, that don't mean it's the same spot on the track or the same conditions because somebody else could have rutted something out. You don't know what's happened since your last lap. And I spend out more than Earl probably. He's probably sitting there thinking, yeah, I wish we could go back and show some videos and they'll probably be releasing them on Facebook today. But... I've been hit, I've hit people, I've, it's, it's rough, man. And you can have all these ideas about what you're going to do in that instant, but when you start sliding and you go in that corner and you cut the wheel and you get it set up and you know you're gassing it about right and you're right there, and then all of a sudden there's a feeling, ain't there, Earl? Just in a, in a moment, you're still going the right way, but you've got a feeling something's fixing to go wrong here. <laughs> and when it starts sliding... You can cut the wheel, you can hit the brake, you can hit the gas, you can do whatever you want, but it's out of control. Life is like that. Life is simply like that. Sometimes you are out of control. But sometimes when that out of control happens, it files in our mind and covers over and glosses over area, and it'll rewire your mind. Phys I'm talking physically. They can catch this glimpses of how your brain triggers things, and, and there's electronics, it's nerves. It's, they understand all these things, that certain atoms go through your brain and does certain things, but your brain will create pathways that rewires itself that causes it to believe something. Because it happened before, it's going to happen again. Where used to your brain was wired in a way that allowed you to say, well, this time it could be different. But now all of a sudden that there's a groove cut and a wiring happens, a short circuit, if you want to call it that, that will cause your brain to say it's going to be bad again because it's bad last time. Does anybody ever get stuck in that or am I the only one? That, that our minds create in us this rewiring that happens because life happens, because spin out happens. But if we live our life afraid to hit the gas, and get back on the track. Because afraid of messing up again. Teddy Roosevelt talks about a man in an arena. Anybody can sit up in the, in the gallery and be the professionals, and they're on the racetrack. I, I've been there. 
Todd knows more about racing than I do. He's watched way more races than I have. Have you ever been on the track? No. He can tell you when the slide's going to happen. He can tell you when they need to cut this way, when they need to go that way. He's got all the theory down. Literally, I'm talking about he's knows racing. But until you're in the ring, that's just opinions. Until you feel that slipping that you can't fix, that's just opinions. I'd rather be in the arena trying to help people through grief than on the sidelines with a bunch of opinions. Amen? And I'm not going to tell you that I can, I can counsel you because that would be a lie. Because sometimes there's some therapies and some things through, it's just like Dee. She, she can help you with some physical, <laughs> taking two, right? There's people here that can help you with some therapy, physical therapy, that can get you to walk again when your body's telling you you can't walk again. And I don't need to be the one giving you the advice of doing that because I didn't go to school for it. I don't know the technology behind it. They do. They're the professionals. In the same way, there's physical therapy. There's mental therapy. There's all these things. And there's nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong with using things God has allowed people to understand to help us. He's the only one that can rewire you. But he can use people to counsel you to get there. Scripture tells us, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Counsel is okay. Therapy is okay. Godly wisdom is okay. And we need to utilize those resources to allow God to rewire us, even if it isn't just a spiritual thing, it's a physical thing in our mind to rewire us that's okay. And grief and trauma, we can, we can sit up here and act like it's easy to get over with pretty quick and won't you just deal with it and suck it up buttercup and all the things we throw out there. Little cliche terms, right? It's not like that. And I want to let God do whatever he wants to do and however he wants to do it. But all I know is I want to be better. And I know God through his word wants every one of you to be better. He wants to help you in your trouble. He wants to help you in your grief. PTSD, there's techniques that they've got out there, therapy for it, that's wrote down here, EMDR. I, I don't even know what that is. I wanted to watch a YouTube video on it, and I didn't. Rewiring our responses. The rituals we use to process our grief don't just have to be big public ceremonies. Because I could, I could ask some people to come up and give testimony to what you talked to others about this week or shared with others or the homework you had last week. We could do that in a, in a ceremonial, ritualistic way and, and have it to be open public dialogue. But as I said last week, some of those things are meant to be small, small group, and for you to know and you know alone but so, because God put them in your path so you could pray for them and help them and assist them. And sometimes big ceremonies are okay. And maybe we get to the last week in this series and we all have 
a realigned life and a restructured life and a reorganized life that allows us to know that God has helped us through this series. But these small personal moments, very small incremental changes, it still changes. Because sometimes we want to get better instantly. Amen. I'd rather the grief just be gone tomorrow, wouldn't you? If you could just pray to God and say, God, just let the grief be gone tomorrow, we'd all pray that prayer right now. But sometimes God uses small, incremental changes to get us from point A to point Z because there's a whole lot of letters in between that. You hearing what I'm saying? Let him process it. Order it like Jeremiah did those verses and put those letters in order. Dusty, you know through therapy, through stuff you're doing, through counseling and all the stuff he's doing for drug rehabilitation. We, we can wake up one morning and, and think, well, God, just heal that and don't let him be addicted to drugs anymore. And he can do that. That's called a miracle. It's called a miracle. And God is a God of miracles, isn't he? But he's also a God of healing. And healing is a process where a miracle is instantaneous. And he can do it whichever way he wants to do it. We just need to accept it. Amen? Let him do it his way. Because we all need rewired. We all need reorganized. We all need more structure in our life. And allow him to do that through a process if he wants. Or a miracle if he'd rather do it instantaneous. Because only he knows our future. And he's the only one that knows how to get us from A to Z. Our feelings around our grief can feel out of control. So some structure may help in that process. However, that will not prevent the feelings from hurting deeply. It may even get to the point where we believe that God is the cause of our pain. And will do nothing other than to cause us pain. And yet with the same word he promises. Words where he promises destruction on humanity as a whole. As this earth as a whole. Because what happened in the garden. That action had a reaction. It set in course the things for humanity. And destruction was it. We're on this crash of destruction continually. But he can help us in the middle of that. But those same words where he promises that there will be in the last days, perilous times. There's other verses that say, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. My sons and my daughters, they will prophesy. They will proclaim the good news of Jesus. You call it yin and yang, you call it whatever you want. It's God allowing both to happen simultaneously at the same time. Destruction is happening. But can you have peace in the middle of that? That's a question you have to answer yourself. I can't answer that for you. Can you have peace in the middle of a storm? I think if you read your Bible, you'll see Jesus asleep in the bottom of a boat. And 12 of his closest disciples up there worried about, are we going to get thrown overboard? Another event, he's out there and he told them to go on across the waters one time. They get in the boat and head out in there and the storm comes. 
They're all perplexed. And what happens? Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Was he freaked out? Was he worried? No, there's peace in a storm. The thing is, will we accept it in a way and manner in which God gives it to us? Maybe it's internal. Maybe you're going through some situations with some grief right now that you don't know how to get out of. But if you'll open up like we said last week, and if you'll do the things we're talking about this week, make small incremental changes of structure, of reorganizing, of reprocessing, restructuring, God can help. God can help. If you've ever seen destruction, I've, I've seen it. It's 11.30 and I'm done. It's my last thing. Several years ago when me and Leslie first got to the church and the tornado happened over in West Liberty. Anybody remember that? I don't remember exactly what year it was, but Joe Sheber was, was here at that time. They moved back up north now, Betty's brother-in-law, and Joe was here and faithful. And You know, we got word through the Assemblies of God that we had a relief team over there at Convoy Hope, and they needed people with chainsaws, and they needed people to come over and help the people in the catastrophic things that had happened in that tornado. And I'd been, I had been to West Liberty before working on jobs and different things. I knew what the town looked like. I knew where buildings were. And we got all of our stuff together, and, but they told us, you know, we had to have face shields, and we had to have chaps, and we had to have all this safety stuff to even be able to go over and work. And I thought it was stupid. And we go over. We load up the trucks, and we head over there. And as you're driving through town, there was so much destruction. Nobody spoke. It was so catastrophic that words can't even describe and the grief that you've seen on the faces of the people, that the entire town was leveled. The only buildings that were left were the big stone, like the courthouse and the, and the big rock school and stuff like that. Everything else was two befores and ten and debris scattered for miles. And I'm not talking about just a couple miles. It would be like driving across Lewis County, and it's everywhere you look is nothing but level ground. Maybe that's like one of the plagues in the Bible. I don't know. Yeah, they're everywhere. But it, it was, but when we got out and we started the chainsaws and just started cutting and, and we ended up at a house they sent us to and, and one of them, there, there was the neighbor's truck from a ways down the road was sitting outside of the house. And another place we went to, they found a horse inside of a house. They did pick that horse up a long ways away and it was inside the house alive standing in the living room it's like what in the world this is destruction chaotic and you go through there and when you're a Christian and you're going there to help you're praying along that journey and you're just saying God help these people and he's saying I am because I'm sending one or two of you a little bit at a time and every limb you cut and every piece of debris that you pick up and place in order, I'm fixing it one thing at a time. That's what he wants the Bridge Church to be. To our community that this past week is dealing with grief that's unbearable. He wants us to help one limb, one piece at a time. The little things matter. And he wants us to all be a part of that.
So if you would, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. God, I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. God, I might not even be able to put these into words. I can't say it the way that it needs to be said about grief. And there's people in this, here today, they've been hurting for too long. They've been struggling too long. And God, I'm asking you through the Holy Spirit to help in the way that they need help. Give them clear direction of how to go about getting help. Allow them to pray prayers that they stopped praying because they thought you weren't listening. God, they was expecting change instantaneously and you're saying, I'm doing a process in you and through you and you don't understand yet, but I know where I'm taking you. Father, quicken our hearts. God, these hearts that we have made into stone that are so calloused with time, with hurt, with pain. God, allow a heart of flesh to come in amongst your people again so that we be sensitive to what you're saying to us to do. And Jesus, I pray, is these small steps that you give them that seem insignificant if they'll use their carnal mind, but God, you would rewire them to reprocess them, that you would hit defrag in a moment right here. God, that would set things in order in the mind of your people. That Romans chapter 12, verse 2 would become a reality in this room, that minds would be renewed to align according to your purposes and your plans. God, only you can do that. God, only you can do that. Help us help others with grief through our words, through our actions, through our love, through our commitments, through our obligations. God, we simply pray, use us in the process of healing grief. Every person in this room. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.